Amen. That doesn't sound like very many of you. Anybody looking forward to heaven? Oh, yes. You know, if you go through the old songbooks, you'll find that a great majority of the songs were written about heaven. And there's a lot of theories about that. Some people said because they were so poor, they didn't have anything to look forward to but heaven. But I don't believe that. I believe they had a, a cue on something and I believe they were connected to something that made them look beyond this present world. We're so absorbed in this present world, it's hard to get anybody's attention on heaven anymore. But I want to go. Amen. It wouldn't bother me if we went tonight. Yeah. Somebody said, oh, hold on, Brother Hughes. Let's not get too anxious now. Are you still wanting to hold on to this world? Amen. There's nothing in it that I desire. And the longer I live in it, the more I cry, even so come Lord Jesus. Amen. It's so good to see you tonight. Why don't you do me a favor and do somebody a favor? Turn to three people, find three people, and give them a big Holy Ghost smile and say, I love you. Amen. Praise God. I'm not ashamed to say that. I love you. I'm glad you're here tonight. tell you what it is uh, it is good to see you here I, I have to confess after spending most of the day at the hospital with my daughter whose surgery went very well all of you that prayed for us thank you for those prayers uh, but the closer it got to church time and they just hadn't let her go I thought this might be a good night for tacos and bluebell. <laughs> but I backed out of that. I decided I better not do that. You may wish after I get through tonight that I had gotten tacos and bluebell. It's good to see you. Look forward to this weekend. My, did we have a visitation of God this past weekend? Amen. Praise God. Brother Long preached Sunday night about some old rags that still work. Amen. I am so grateful for what I know works tonight. There's a lot of new things, and I'm not against new. I like new. But I don't want to throw away the old just because somebody said they've got a new and better way. I don't think you can improve on the old time way. Amen. Blood, water, spirit, loving one another. That's, that's really the core of all that we really are. Well, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 15. This particular passage of Scripture has been prevalent in my mind over the last few weeks. 
and I didn't know when I might have the opportunity to share with you what I I feel, but uh, we're going to try to give that to you tonight. I'm going to read first from the King James version, and then you're going to you can be seated, and then we're going to I'm going to read it from the Passion translation, and uh, I want you to listen carefully because this is one of those portions of scripture that slaps you upside the head and said pay attention something important is coming your way and when I read this I, uh, I got that slap in the face or maybe it was a kick in the knee or whatever maybe sometimes we need a kick in the seat of the pants I don't know whatever gets your attention but this is what it says Now, it's important to know that 15 did not happen without 14. So you got to read chapter 14 to really grasp the full context of what he goes into here. But uh, he says, we then, we then. So it's in reference to what he had just talked about. And that was how we treat one another and how we interact with one another. I won't go into that. But he said, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of Scripture might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to to Christ Jesus that you may be that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ praise God everybody said amen you may be seated now I want you to try to digest this from the passion which kind of expounds on what uh, we have just read. He said, Now those who are mature in their faith can easily be recognized. And this is how you can recognize them. For they don't live to please themselves, but have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. I have to pause here. Most Pentecostals think that we show our maturity by how many tongues we can speak in, how many languages we can speak in tongues in. But I have news for you tonight. God doesn't care how much how many languages I can speak in tongues in, or if I can interpret all of them. If I miss 
what he's saying right here? My tongues are as sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Now, Brother Greg, he taught several weeks about 1 Corinthians 13. And we all know what it says. We don't like to go there a lot because it convicts us. It should convict us. Because it talks about our relationship to others. But it is important that we understand that here is an important principle of the New Testament church. Those who are mature in their faith should be easily recognized. And this is how you recognize them. How they treat people that are not on the same spiritual plane as they are. Holy hush come over the building. They're saying, Bluebell, tacos, Bluebell. I could have had Bluebell. I want to read that again, just for emphasis. Now, those of you who are mature in their faith, they should be easily recognized, for they don't live to please themselves, but have learned have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. Our goal, everybody say our goal. Our goal must be to empower others to do what is right and good for them and to bring them into spiritual maturity. For not even the most powerful one of all, the anointed one, lived to please himself. His life fulfilled the scripture that says, All the insults of those who insulted you fall upon me. Whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct us in how to live. It may be an Old Testament But it's not an old principle. And that Old Testament is a covenant that God made that is carried over into the New Testament or the New Covenant. And so whatever has been written, it has been written for us. It has been written to instruct us in how to live. The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. Now may God, the source of great endurance and comfort, grace you with unity among yourselves, which flows from your relationship with Jesus the Anointed One. Then with a unanimous rush of patient, passion, you will, you will with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand that that is terminology of the separate works and offices of the one true God, not one speaking to another, but one God who manifests himself. But anyway, I want to talk to you tonight about 
indicators of true Christian fellowship? What are those indicators or evidences? What do you see within a church that is proof that they are truly followers of the Lord and that they are true to the name in which they have been called, and that is Christian. Paul, writing to the Romans, dealt with many important issues. As a matter of fact, Romans, by most scholars, is considered one of the deepest theological writings and works of Paul. I will tell you this much for my simple mind. It blows me away every time I read it. So many important principles, so many great things, and I I don't have time to even touch on them. But chapter 14, and, and I think most of us understand that the original text was not divided into chapters like ours are. So, you know, we when we read the Bible, we separate chapter 13 from chapter 14. But in the original text, they all flowed together. And so they were all connected. And so you have to read before and after to really get a true picture of what the writer was trying to convey. And so if you go to chapter 14 and you read the 14th chapter, you will find that Paul deals with the with an important issue. And it was critical in the church because there was this uh, homogenizing of Jew and Gentile, of Greek and barbarian, and at least that's how some of them viewed others that were not of their nationality. There was this mixture of all of these different backgrounds and of people that had come together under the canopy of the church. And it was taking some getting used to for them to learn how to look at one another and view one another as brothers and as sisters in the Lord. That there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, but there's one. We are one. We're not Greek or barbarian. But if you are blood-bought, you're under the canopy of his name, then we are all the same. I've said this many times, but when you stand at Calvary, everybody's on equal ground. There's no big you and our, our big I and little you. We're all equal and the same. All of our sins may be different, but they are still sins that separated us from God. And so... Paul deals with this critical issue that we as a church, as a body, as the body of Christ, have a responsibility to other people. That we can't live to ourselves. That we don't just uh, come to church because of what we get out of it. We don't participate in the body of Christ just because it benefits us. But we should always be conscious of those around us and we should always be mindful of other people especially especially the stronger to the weaker now that's something that's not 
easily digestible by most uh, Holy Ghost tongue-talking people. I've been in this all of my life, so I know what I'm talking about. We have this echelon of spiritual hierarchy that the deeper you pray in tongues, the more superior you, you get to be. And the truth is, it really doesn't matter. That's not what God bases your spirituality on. Swallow that. That's not how we like to think. We like to think because I, I do something more than anybody else or, or I fast more than everybody else or I pray more than everybody else or I talk in tongues more than everybody else that I, I, I live on a different plane. You may live in a different dimension, but we're all in the boat together. And in order for us to get to where God wants us to go, we're going to have to learn how to work together. And so there is this obligation of the stronger to the weaker. Now, I grew up in this, and I remember sitting when I first got my license, I sat in some of the ministerial meetings, and I was bug-eyed at some of the things that I heard going on between brethren because I heard uh, men that were very strong that I thought were, I considered them ultra-conservative men that were using these verses to, 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 to make it look like they were the weaker one and, and all the liberal people were the stronger ones, so the liberals should put up with the weaker who are the... I, think, my, my, I was so confused when I left there that day, I thought, I, did I read my Bible? The Bible said that you which are stronger, and I would consider that somebody that has more understanding, that knows more about prayer, that's walked with God for many years, that knows the depth of the Spirit, that you which are stronger have a responsibility to bear with us who are weaker. Thank you for that right. Whether you agree or not, it's still in Scripture. So we have to understand that what we struggle with is no different than what the New Testament church struggled with. The Jews still struggled with the concept that they were superior to all the other people that were coming into the church. You know who the Jews were. They were the people that's been there the longest. Woo. Bluebell, where's Bluebell tonight? <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean or vicious. I'm just trying to help us understand that there are principles of the New Testament church that we don't like to address. Because it, it messes with our theology. And so Paul talks in the 14th chapter about the, the stronger helping the weaker. Because we're all in this together. And we're all supposed to be going to the same place. Now I know some people believe in first, second, third heaven, and I'm, I'm sure there's much uh, merit to that, but I think the heaven that we're all going to 
get to at one point is going to be the same heaven. (laughs) You know what I think the greatest revelation is going to be in heaven? Is when you look around and you see Look who's here. (laughs) I'm being facetious right now because some of you look like I just cut your throat. I don't mean to be. (laughs) But I do believe that there's going to be a lot of surprise people when we get to heaven. I heard a joke one time. I better not go there. My wife is not here tonight, but she will probably watch and she's going to skin me when I get home anyway. So I'm just kidding. Pardon me, honey. I didn't mean that. Let's get back to the message. So he summarizes his thoughts concerning the church here in this 15th chapter, beginning with the first verse. And in this summary, he highlights some of the important principles and the important elements that should be uh, a part of the true body. And this is what we should judge ourselves by. I remember when I first came here and I was intimidated by trying to pastor uh, and uh, all, you know, in a storefront, nobody wants to come to a storefront uh, nobody wants to come when there's only five people. So, you know, being intimidated, looking around, seeing all these other churches, and a pastor friend of mine said, I'm going to tell you what you better do. You better pastor like you're the only church in town. And I, I developed that philosophy. And that sounds kind of crude, and, but I don't mean it to be that way. I just had to block out because it doesn't matter what they're doing somewhere else. I'm not judging myself by what's happening at some other place. I want to judge myself by what this word says. And that's what's going to determine where I stand with him. Not how I rate with some other congregation. But how do I stand beside the word? And so Paul summarizes these principles. And they're the marks, the indicators, uh, evidence, the characteristics of a true fellowship according to the Word of God. And the first thing that I want to mention to you, and I don't, I'm not going to go in order according to what we read there, uh, so don't try to follow verse by verse because I, it'll probably confuse you. But one of the things that I noted in Paul's writings in these first six verses of chapter 15 was that the fellowship of the redeemed Number one would be marked, as we've already said, by a consideration of and for each other. And he takes great emphasis, or he makes great emphasis, and he takes time to carefully make sure that his point is, is, is put through. And that is that we should not think of ourselves too highly, but we should consider others. And you that are strong, learn, you you have to learn this, 
Everybody say, I'm trying to learn. Learn this. Learn how to deal with the weaknesses of those who are not as strong as you are. And as I was reading this several weeks ago, I don't even know how far back it goes, I began to wonder what would happen to us as a church. And I'm not saying we are not this tonight, but what would happen to a church if our thoughts were truly not about ourselves nor for ourselves, but for each other. What if instead of coming to church, thinking about what we might get out of it, we come to church thinking of how we might help someone else. And you can help them through your worship. You don't always have to be beside them saying, that a boy, that a boy, you're, you're doing good. Many times the greatest help that I've received coming into the house of God and being down was to look over and see somebody else that I know is going through something similar, but I see them with their hands lifted. I, I see them down around the front. And my, by the way, I love it when people get down around the front for worship. I, I think that's an indicator that we really want to get everything behind us and God before us. And I'm not talking about in, in, in just a literal way, but I, I believe there's something powerful that happens when you and I give ourselves in genuine worship because there are other people that are going through the same heartaches. They're dealing with the same pain. They've got the same kind of boss you do. He's a jerk or she's a jerk and and, and doesn't matter what you do, you can't please them. But you watch them when they come into the house of God. They've got a smile on their face. They're happy to see everybody. And when the music starts, they're the first one on their feet to clap their hands. That to me is the greatest encouragement to my soul when I come in and I'm down on the bottom to see somebody else that I know is having a difficult time but they're doing the best they can and God is taking that. By the way, I, oh Lord, I better not do that. That's another message altogether. What if we were to move into being more interested in the upbuilding of others and not so much about our own comfort and our own desire. What would happen? I'm not saying we don't do that. I'm just asking a question. There should be a continual work in the church of building each other rather than attacking or tearing down or criticizing or critiquing. You know, when I come to church... There's a lot of things I don't know. Sometimes I have people say, Brother Hughes, did you know this? Did you see this? Nope. Nope. Did you notice? Nope. Well, what did you notice? I noticed that God was there. I could sense his presence as soon as I came in. It sounded like a, a, a Holy Ghost prayer meeting was going on and I knew God was going to be in that place. I don't come in here looking around at people and said, oh, they're not living right right now. They're not. You said, Brother Hughes, you're the pastor. You're supposed to be doing that. You know what I am? I'm a shepherd. And a shepherd knows his sheep. 
And a shepherd knows that sometimes sheep are not always in the place they need to be. But he doesn't come in with a hammer in his hand or a sword in his hand. He comes with a staff that tries to steer them back in the right direction. And that's what I want to do. And that's what, but I don't come in here looking at what's wrong at people. I come in here looking at what's right. I come in here, hey, it's wonderful to see all of you in the house of God tonight. It doesn't matter if you've got Prada shoes on or you've got Walmart shoes on. It doesn't matter that your clothes came from goodwill or your will. We're not going to stand around the throne and say, look at mine. When we stand around the throne, we're just going to be overwhelmed with rejoicing that we're there. That God saw in us something worth saving. It's not going to be where, how we judge each other. And so, when we begin to understand that principle, it changes the way we do church. I'm not talking about just tolerating to tolerate because we're too lazy to stand up for right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about understanding that not everybody is on the same plane as I am. But they're on the same road. Amen. And if they're not doing as well I've always wanted to reach my arms out as far as I could and pull them as close in as I can. I know there's some. Brother Kilgore told me years ago, Brother Hughes, there's going to be some stragglers that that are just always going to be stragglers. He said, but every once in a while you have to stop and reach back and you've got to reach as far as you can. You pull as many of them as you can to you. And that's what happened around this church through the years. One thing God told me when I first came here of what this church was going to be, He said it's going to be a hospital for hurting people. There were going to be people that would come and go. That's what happens in a hospital. You don't get to keep everybody. And I don't mean you're all patients tonight. Please don't misunderstand that. You got terminal diseases. You just have to stay in the hospital. You've learned the value of of being a worker in the hospital. And there's a lot of hurting people that come through our doors. As a matter of fact, the longer the Lord delays His coming and the more new people that come in, I'm telling you, it's going to shock your modesty. I'm just telling you. It's gonna, it's gonna, oh, your Holy Ghost fur is gonna be rubbed the wrong way. But remember this, he died for everybody. Amen. I better hurry on. I wanna be the person who gives somebody the benefit of the doubt. Because you never know 
what that person might be dealing with and what they're going through. And just being there is all they could do. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Just being there, just showing up is all they could do. But this is what I've learned about God. When I do all I can do, He will do what I cannot do. And He will draw me into Him and close to Him. And He will minister to me. And He will help me. So I want to be mindful of those who are struggling. And we have some that have been around church a long time and they're still struggling. Brother Hughes, when are you going to deal with that? I'm going to let God deal with that. I, I had one man that came to our church. Oh, Lord, I, it seemed like umpteen years, but it, it really wasn't that long. I don't, but it was several years. He was just an impenetrable rock. And he just, he, he came. He was a good man. He loved me. He loved our church. But you couldn't reach him. I mean, it was just like a stone wall. And I remember one Sunday, I, I couldn't even call it preaching. I kicked the watermelon and then I stepped all in it. I dropped it and stepped off. Anyway, I got through and the only thing I knew to do was give an altar call. And believe it or not, that man that had not batted an eye, lifted a hand, lifted a voice, sang one song, stepped out and came down and stood at the altar. And before I could close my Bible and get down to him to lay my hands on him, when I started to reach up for him, I could hear him speaking in other tongues. Now, I'm sure there were a few people along the way that thought, Brother Hughes, you need to preach about that because he had some issues. But you know what I've learned? It's not about me not preaching about it. But I've learned, as Brother Kilgore taught me, that God can do more for a person five minutes in the altar than you can do 50 hours in a counseling session. So if you can keep people in a good altar atmosphere, God can, when you have a spirit of worship in the church, there is a spirit of healing that comes with that worship. When you have the spirit of praise, there is a spirit of healing that comes with praise. When you have that spirit of victory in our services, then there comes with it a spirit of deliverance. I need to hurry. This is what I believe we should do always. Surround everyone with an atmosphere of love so that they can grow into a fuller, faith-filled saint of God. Surround them with love. Not attack them, not criticize them, but surround them with love. Amen. I need to hurry. I'm going the second... The second thing that I noticed is that this fellowship would be marked by love for the Word of God. That we would not 
separate or delineate as many are doing in our day and they're only New Testament believers Uh, I believe we're Bible believers and we understand that the old is an example it's an example to us in the new so even though we may not observe the Old Testament laws of, of, of the Jewish people that the principles that were behind the law, those principles carry over into the New Testament church. And the righteousness of God did not change from the old to the new. And the requirements of His righteousness did not change from the old. So you can use them both. They're both a, 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 a certification of God's work in the earth. And so we take the Word of God and we study that Word and we embrace that Word. And when we embrace the old or the new, we find what Paul mentioned here. We find encouragement. There is no part of Scripture that is without unction or anointing. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved on or breathed on of the Holy Ghost. I believe that. I believe that all of my life. And I will continue to believe that. When we understand that significance and and the power of His Word, it provides us with what we need to get through the times in which we live. It gives us a record of God's dealings with a nation of people And we see by his dealings with them, his mercy and his goodness and his kindness. You know, one of the most amazing portions of scripture that I've found in the word is found in the book of Nehemiah. And I don't remember, it's toward the latter portion of the book of Nehemiah. But he goes through and he lists all of these things about Israel. They did this and they went away from God, but then they repented and God forgave them. And then they did that and they went away from God. And then they repented and God forgave them. And it just repeats this same pattern over and over and over because that's how God looks at his people. He doesn't look at us as a perfected work yet. He looks at us as a work in progress and he is continuing to perfect us and he is continuing to bring us to fruition. And so we have to learn from the old. This is God's dealings. If he dealt with them in mercy, then surely he will deal with me in mercy. It's not an excuse for me to continue in sin, but it is a hope that I am not a lost cause. It's always better to be right with God and to suffer than to be wrong with man but avoid trouble. Scripture never says that God's way is an easy way. But in the end, it is always the better way. Amen. He said, when I took that and I, I, I bit into that, he said it was bitter to my tongue, but it was sweet to my belly or my spirit. It was not palatable at first, but when I digested it, oh, the wonders that it performed. The second thing that he mentions is that the word contains God's great and precious promises. And those promises are 
are, are yea and amen. That means they're irrevocable. They're unbreakable. <laughs> That's amazing. God never goes back on a promise. If he said it, he will fulfill it. The promises of one who never breaks a word, not one jot or tittle, shall pass from this word. And when we love this word as we should, it will bring comfort to us in our sorrow and encouragement to us in our struggles. The third thing, and I'm going to close. I'm not through, but I never do get through. The New Testament church, the fellowship of God's people, the indicator that we are truly operating as that body should is that we are marked by a certain, I don't know if this is the best word, but fortitude. I, I wanted to say guts, but that just didn't sound real kosher. Uh, but that there that's true this it's far more than patience in living for god sometimes you just have to have grit you just have to have determination that will not quit you just have to get up one more time one more time one more time one more time and when you get up one more time The devil cannot defeat somebody that keeps getting up. So we as a people, we have to understand that there is a certain stamina and a certain endurance that is going to be a part of living for God. Some things you just have to live through. You don't get a free pass. And and the scripture is correct when it says it rains on the just and the unjust. It simply means that there are no favorites in this thing called life. And so life happens to all of us. Sometimes we stub our toes. Sometimes we have a flat tire on the way to church. Sometimes our boss does fire us. Those are just part and parcel of this human experience But he said the New Testament church had a fortitude. They had a grit. It didn't matter what knocked them down. They got right back up. It didn't matter what Caesar did to them. They just multiplied a thousand times over. If they were forced underground, they went underground. But the church kept growing. It didn't go underground. It continued to grow and flourish. Because the Bible said there were saints in Caesar's household. Grit. Everybody say grit. That's not just something you get in your teeth. It's something you get in your gut. You just keep coming back. There's a resilience. And I have seen that in this church through the years. When I think of all of the the things that we've gone through and the things that our church has suffered, the floods and the storms, and just that's continuing to come back 
And when we come back, we come back better. We come back stronger. We come back more determined. We're not going to be knocked down. I know we've talked about this for years, but there's a piece of property right beside us and there's a bigger piece of property right behind us, 58 acres that just came up for sale. And we've talked about it. But I'm going to tell you what, somebody's going to keep holding on to that until that breakthrough comes and that becomes ours because I believe the purpose of the church is to grow. He said of his government and kingdom there shall be no end. And I am a part of that New Testament church. Praise God. Stand with me. Amen. It is the strength that does not merely accept things, but it knows how to transform things into its glory. When we flooded in 2015, my wife and I were in Austin doing an event at the House of Representatives and got a call from Brother Long early in the morning before I went to pray over the house. (laughs) Brother Hughes... I hate to call you, but our church flooded. Flooded? You mean the commode overran? No, I mean our church flooded. I'll never forget that feeling that when I hung up, just this this can't be true. And then when my wife and I drove home that evening, drove it, the the recovery team had already gotten here and all of the pews were out on the parking lot, piled up in a jumbled mess. All the carpet was laying out there. And all of you that's been here for a number of years, we built that with our own hands. We didn't have contractors that did that. I taught men how to use nail guns that became dangerous, but they, they nailed wood together. They put decking down. We, we put up walls. We did almost everything we could do because we didn't have the money or the, uh, the finances at that time to hire crews, so we did it. We built it. And to see all of that being torn out, It may not have been many things. It wasn't a Taj Mahal by any stretch, but that's you. That's your blood and sweat and tears. And I know a lot of our older people, they they know what I'm talking about. You feel it. And so we had to find another place to have church. And I don't remember exactly, Brother Clyde you may have been the one that helped us. I know you did on the second one, but... We had to find a place to have church. We had to relocate because we couldn't have church here for a number of weeks, like eight weeks. And the first week we couldn't even have church. And so it's it's the Saturday night before the the first Sunday that we're going to have church. And I think we found the school, the Friendswood School. It was Brother Clyde T. that helped us get that. Thank you, Brother. You've saved our bacon twice. <laughs> anyway, we, we found this place, and I had struggled all week. We had worked until we were so tired we couldn't even pay attention. And I came home Saturday, cleaned up, and I went up into my office, and I started praying and trying to seek the Lord, and I, I, I just fell asleep. 
I was exhausted like everybody else. And I, I woke up a little while and I thought, I got it. But the, you know, when you get in that brain fog, you can't even think two plus two equals what? And uh, I, so I thought, God, this is not good. <laughs> Preacher's supposed to have a word before now for Sunday. And so I, I laid down. I thought, well, I'll just lay down. And I'll get up early and start over. I'll never forget waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And there was something that urged me to get up. And I went upstairs and I started praying again. And as sure as I'm talking to you right now, I heard the Lord speak to me and say, call it a God project. Anybody remember that? A God project. And so Sunday morning when we got together, that's what I shared with our church. This is going to be a God project. And sure enough, it was. But there is that resilience. It's not just in me, it's in you. And it's been seen and evident in so many different ways. But that is part and parcel of the New Testament church. We have to have that ability that no matter what happens, it's not going to take us out. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. You can walk away if you want to, but I'm not leaving. Amen. I'm going to keep my hand to the plow. I may not be in the same position. I may not be as the same, as strong as I was, but I'm going to keep doing what I can do. And I've said it before, I'm going to chew on that bone until I have no teeth, then I'm going to gnaw on it with gums. But that's just the way I feel about the kingdom of God. We're not sissies. We're not crybabies. We don't sit around sucking our thumb because everything didn't work out the way we wanted it to. I've had a few heartaches. You've had many heartaches. But you learn how to gain strength when you come together as a body. And you look across the church and you see one of our wonderful saints worshiping and praying and praising. And you know, They may have just lost a loved one. They may have suffered a loss of some other kind, financial setback. Somebody lost their job, but they're in the altar lifting their hands. That does something that nothing else I know of can do. And it helps give us that resilience to get up and go on. And I've I've told you this. I said I was, this is the terrible thing about a preacher. When he says he's going to close, that doesn't always mean anything. The most common entry in the diaries of Christopher Columbus, and if you know anything about his voyage toward the end, his entire crew mutinied. Uh, They were desperate. They had been on the seas for weeks and weeks and weeks, and there was no sight of land, and it seemed like a hoax. And you would think that Somewhere in his diary there would be mention of some of these things. But it is recorded that on some of the days when he had the most severe blowback from his crew and they tried to uh, mutiny and, 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 and turn against him, 
that when he would go to his quarters in the evening, he would write on that page, and today we sailed on. And today we sailed on. Rain, sleet, cold, mutiny, no food, no water. It didn't matter what the adversities were. At the bottom of the page, and today we sailed on. That has got to be the motto of the New Testament church. Amen. And I believe that if we will have that kind of spirit, that there is no telling what God will do. Amen. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the help that you've given us tonight. Lord, you're you're so good. I don't deserve your kindness or your love or your mercy. I am the least of all. Today I stand before you as just a man that understands his own weakness and humanity. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for making room for all of us, Lord. And when we get to the place, Lord, that we think we're better than somebody else or we're too good for this or that, would you just help bring us back to this passage and remind us that our true purpose and mission and our true meaning as a New Testament body is to help everyone we can around us. Let that be always the spirit of this church as it has been. Let it continue to be into the future. We thank you for your blessings and goodness, Lord, and we ask you to be with us as we move out tonight and we come back this weekend. God, do great things for us. Do mighty things. We know that your promises are yea and amen. And we come in agreement with those today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. Love somebody. Tell them, you know what? You're better than me. Amen. You're better.